Hello, insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, broadcasting from Coronado, California, where the women are strong, the men are good-looking, and the kids' parents believe their kids are way above average. Just ask them, and they will be sure to tell you. Eb is on assignment today. Uh, we hope that he'll be joining us again real soon. Uh, thanks for tuning in to a special time travel edition of Inside Track. Yeah, isn't that weird? More on that later. Uh, if Eb were sitting next to me, he'd say, we have another great show for you today. In just a few moments, we'll be talking to friend of the show, opinion maker, satirist, easy for you to say, and now author George Bardmesser about his new book, Future Shot, A Bullet Can Change the Past. George's new book, Future Shot, has the makings of a great thriller and probably uh, a series of thrillers over a period of time. I know you'll enjoy hearing from George again about Future Shot, uh, which is uh, coming up in just a few minutes. In the second half of the show, longtime California conservative activist and RNC member Sean Steele will join us in our remaining time to bring us up uh, on the latest news about the California recall election coming up on September 14th. I got to admit, it's, it's a, bit, a little, little touch and go with Sean. Uh, he says that he is traveling uh, from, um, I think, Ohio to Georgia, retracing his roots, or maybe it's from Georgia to Ohio. I'm not sure which, but anyway, he's out in the middle of uh, Hyattsville, and uh, he'll try to uh, communicate with us probably around the three-quarter mark today. Hey, it has been a very scary week in my uh, household since we talked last Saturday afternoon. My wife was walking our two doggies, Sammy and Sparky, uh, last week after the show. My wife always keeps out uh, an eye for dogs that are off leash when we walk the dogs. But she missed a woman chucking a tennis ball to her dog in the park, a big honking German shepherd uh, at the pocket park by the bay. Now, all of a sudden, uh, this nine-foot-tall German shepherd, and I swear that dog had to be about nine foot, uh, saw Sparky and suddenly lunged towards her and her sister, and it was Katie barred the door. Sparky got spooked, uh, broke off the leash from my wife, and ran for her life westerly on, on First Street. About two blocks later, the German shepherd finally caught up with our little uh, puppy, uh, English Springer Spaniel, and punctured her tummy uh, right by where her rear leg uh, connects to her torso. We didn't realize uh, that she had been injured this badly for hours after the attack. And since then, our poor pup has been back and forth all week between emergency pet clinics and the, and the vet. Uh, luckily, she's on the mend. You ought to see the honking big bandage she's got. And of course, she's wearing the cone of shame but also back to playing with her sisters. Hey, insiders, don't be a dope. If you're out and about with your dog, keep your best friend on a leash. It may just save your dog's life or prevent injury to another animal. And for all of you dopes out there who walk around your neighborhood with your pooch off leash, remember the life you save just might be your best friend's. Insiders, don't forget to support Jean Fedigan from Sister Jose Homeless Women's Shelter. Uh, the uh, homeless ladies downtown have a hard time in the heat when it's raining and when it's cold. Um, uh, call Sister Jose Women's Shelter at 520-909-3905. You can drop your gifts off at the shelter located at 1050 North Park. Now, look, uh, they're kind of in the middle of a, of a construction project. Um, I know it'd be great if you could do anything for Sister Jose Women's Shelter. But right now, Jean really needs some cash uh, to help uh, continue paying for all of the programs that they have uh, for the downtown ladies. Uh, and um, our good friend Christy Simone threw uh, his 23rd anniversary party for the Wake Up Tucson show last Saturday night to help Jean and the ladies. Uh, all you KVOI listeners did a great job helping our homeless females downtown uh, in Tucson. No question, Jean's Angels have saved many, many lives. 
in downtown Tucson. Jean will join us real soon. And like I said, it's great if you can bring her uh, clothing articles, um, you know, uh, underwear, uh, bras, uh, socks, shoes, uh, dresses, uh, tops, T-shirts, and so on. But right now, uh, she's having a hard time doing all of that sorting and taking in those types of gifts uh, with, with what else is going on around them on Park Avenue. This portion of Inside Track uh, is brought to you by my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, and his partner, Gary Imus from Imus Wilkinson Asset. Make that Imus, Wil- <laughs> Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, uh, whose uh, baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend on socialist security. Call Eb at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. And let him show you also. Mr. Producer, um, we're going to take our first break a little early. And when we return, George Bardmesser will join us to let us know What's been keeping him busy for the last several months? We're going to talk about uh, old time travel. Uh, We're going to talk about um, uh, dystopic society and uh, life in the 22nd century. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season. Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control, 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show also brought to you by our friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. They have some of the best surplus steel materials in stock ever to help you with your next home or ranch project. Now, I'm getting ready to do a big fence project at our home uh, later this month, and I'll be buying all of my steel products from Jamie and Gary. My wife and I are also going to use steel from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus to um, help build a five-foot-tall likeness of our dogs uh, out in the backyard. I can hardly wait. Call Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus at 520-209. 1576. It's a little out of the way, but well worth the trip. And a big shout out to Eric Rudin and his professional team at Essential Pest. Summer rains mean more critters and vermin threatening your home. The rains are coming again this week. Call the Essential Pros at 520-886-3029. These are two great locally owned family businesses you can depend upon. Eb and I do, so should you. Now, I am very pleased to welcome back George Bardmesser to Inside Track. George has been a frequent contributor to the show. George is a former engineer. He's a smart guy, let me tell you. 
uh, a very successful intellectual properties attorney who works in and around the swamp. For a couple of years, uh, he has been a prolific political satirist, a commentator for news opinion sites like The Federalist and American Greatness. George went dark for several months since the 2020 election. Uh, we'll find out why in just a second. And just when I was getting worried about his health or if he had been kidnapped by the Secret Service, he has re-emerged. Greeting, George, you disappeared for months. Tell our Inside Track listeners about what you've been up to the last several months. Well, uh, what happened was that after the election, especially after the inauguration of, of a biological entity named Joe Biden, uh, the feeling that I most commonly felt, I, you know, I have to admit, was rage at the whole thing. You know, whenever I see, I mean, I don't watch much TV, but whenever I see Biden, like a video of him somewhere on the Internet, you know, typically my sort of reaction is like a vomit reflex. Okay. Gag, and, gag uh, reflex. Yeah. So, and to be honest, you know, writing, you know, another article, you know, here and there, it just wasn't cutting it for me. You know, it just wasn't really expressing, you know, what I was feeling. So I decided to write a book. I mean, originally it was like a novella, but eventually it became a book um, about, you know, essentially expressing that feeling. You know, we have a, you know, somebody who calls himself a president who, as far as I'm concerned, is guilty of high treason. Okay, what he does almost daily is essentially treasonous, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so the book, the book is fiction. Now, I should point out that uh, the word Biden is not mentioned in the book. You know, the title of the book is Future Shot. The word Biden is not mentioned in Future Shot. Uh, There's a president. uh, His name is Jeremiah Finnegan. Uh, He happens to be 80 years old. He is a senile, cretinous, imbecilic buffoon. Uh, now, if for some reason that description reminds you of, you know, some real political, you know, personality, uh, that's probably your problem. Because, as I said, the word Biden is not mentioned in the book. But, uh, you know, President Finnegan, in future shot in the book, uh, is, in fact, guilty of treason. Uh, he sends about uh, $50 billion of American taxpayer money to China as payback for their help in getting him elected. That money goes to create a plague which turns people into, you know, vicious, you know, bulky cannibals who feed on humans. And so the story takes us 100 years into the future where civilization has almost collapsed. And uh, snipers uh, are used to pick off these, uh, these cannibals from a distance because getting them too close means you're probably dead. And to prevent the coming, you know, end of the human race, a sniper is, set, is sent back in time to the present uh, to take out uh, President Finnegan and his vice president, uh, Pamela Morrison, from 3,200 meters out. Now, for those people who know anything about, you know, shooting and, you know, long-distance shooting, uh, this is an essentially impossible task, okay? Uh, you know, now, there have been some successful, you know, hits from that distance in Afghanistan, for example, uh, but generally, it's a matter of luck. Uh, typically, like, for example, there's a, snipe, a sniper named Craig Harrison, a British sniper who took out a Taliban fighter from, like, a long ways out. But usually, these are lucky shots. Okay? In this case, of course, he cannot depend on luck. Uh, so the book is about how he prepares for several years uh, to take that shot, what he needed, those, those shots, the two shots, what he needs to do, and what he needs to do once he gets into the, to the present, to 2021, uh, how he sets up, how he prepares for the shot, how he gets his rifle and his scope ready, and how he finally, you know, takes the, the shots. Uh, so this is one, it, it's one, now, I, sh- I should say this is not Jane Austen, okay? So if you're like a Jane Austen type reader, it's probably not for you. Uh, you know, if you're a Bidenophile, Okay, uh, it's probably not a book for you. But if you're like me, if you feel, you know, kind of rage at what is going on out there and feel like there's nothing you can do about it because, you know, there really isn't that much, you know, you can do about it. Uh, this is probably the book for you. I, you know, I think you know, people will enjoy it and you know, people have told me that they enjoyed it a great deal when they read it. So, so, so let's be clear. You're not advocating uh, any violence against this president. This Absolutely is not. this is 
this is really p- political humor, almost political satire in a way. Um, hey, on your website for future, for your uh, on your website for future shot, you cite this. This was great. I I, I hadn't ever read this before. You cited an ancient Chinese uh, uh, proverb. It says every problem on earth can be resolved by the proper application of propellant to a large caliber bullet together with a with a proper aim point. Now I know the Chinese invented gunpowder, George, but who the heck was this Chinese philosopher? Uh, well, it could have been Sun Tzu, but actually I made that up. <laughs> it's not ancient. <laughs> wisdom. Uh, but, you know, there is some, some wisdom to that. Now, again, I should point out the word Biden is not mentioned anywhere in the book. You know, if for some now, you know, people have told me that, uh, you know, once the book goes live, I should expect a visit from, you know, men in black or at least yeah. men dressed in black uh, who will work for the government. Uh, you know, if that happens, I guess it happens. Uh, my question to them will be, well, what is it about the description in the book, which is, you know, really science fiction? You know, what is it about the description of the president in that book that reminds you of your boss? Uh, you know, is it the fact that he's an imbecile? Is it the fact that he's senile? Is it the fact that he pees in his diaper? Is it the fact that he takes uh, Alzheimer's medication? Is it the fact that his personal neurologist travels with him everywhere? You know, like what specifically reminds you of your boss in this book? You know, I'd like to hear the answer. You know, when, when you know, if they want to give me the answer. And I plan to actually, you know, if they do visit me, I plan to record, you know, their visit, you know, both audio and video, and uh, put it up on the Internet. You know, so, I mean, so far they haven't, I should point out. So far, maybe they haven't read it yet. Maybe they should read it, but they haven't. Okay, but if they do, I definitely intend to, you know, to post it on the internet. Uh, so, so, so no, I'm, I'm definitely not advocating violence. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of person who wouldn't hurt a fly. Okay, well, maybe I would hurt a fly, but you know, I'm not advocating violence against Joe Biden for the simple reason that uh, one of the reasons is that Kamala Harris would be even worse. I mean, we've That's had, a, you know, I think the the last you know, seven, eight months of the Biden presidency. I mean, whatever your imagination was, you know, before he became president about how bad it was going to be, you weren't imaginative enough. Okay, Uh, it's been a lot worse than anybody could possibly imagine, as far as I'm concerned. But it's like, uh, remember how Biden was Obama's assassination insurance? I mean, who was going to shoot Obama, you know, so that Biden would become president? I mean, nobody. It was it was just crazy. Well, you know, uh, I think the only reason that Biden actually picked uh, Kamala Harris, uh, it certainly wasn't for, for her political skills or her, for her popularity, which is, you know, somewhere around zero. Okay. Yeah. It's because anybody contemplating doing anything about Joe Biden is faced with a dilemma. You know, his replacement would be even worse. So, That's true. So, so the- Biden's probably safe. You know, but again, the book is not about Biden. Okay, the book is about a fictional president named Jeremiah Finnegan, uh, yeah, and his fictional vice president named, named uh, Pamela Morrison, and uh, a sniper who is sent from the future to the present with an impossible tap. You know, he has to take out both of them from 3,200 meters out in the space of less than two seconds, because uh, as soon as the first bullet hits, you know that the Secret Service details are going to start reacting. And uh, the targets are not going to be where they were just shortly before. Uh, the flight time is uh, about eight seconds, eight and a half seconds uh, for that distance. Uh, so it's a very difficult, it's actually a virtually as a practical matter. It's a virtually impossible uh, task. Uh, so you know, in the future, they pick the best sniper they have. Okay. And he spent several years training for this one moment. Okay. The one moment where. You know, three, over three kilometers out, two miles out, he will have his two targets in his scope. And he has less than two seconds to take them out. So that's what the book is about. Um, so what, what yeah. is this world? What is this world in 2022? I think the, 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 uh, uh, the, the Tyler uh, actually lives in. What, what does the world look like in the 22nd century? Yeah, basically post-apocalyptic, uh, the uh, the victims of the of the Finnegan plague, as it's called, uh, they either die or they become cannibals. 
Okay, so they feed on humans. Uh, only about 10% of the population survives, and they live in like settlements and uh, a few protected cities. Um, there's no, you know, like today we live very sort of soft, you know, luxurious lives, and we're pampered by the consumer society. None of that exists in the future. You know, people live on the edge of survival because if the cannibals break in, you know, through the defenses, through the barbed wire, through the razor wire, uh, that surrounds the settlements, uh, basically you're dead. So there's no room for luxury. There is no room for mistake, for mistakes. Uh, you know, you either you're good at what you do or essentially you die. Okay. You're torn up, you're torn and fed on, uh, by the cannibals. So it's a very different universe from the universe we live in. But, uh, you know, the book is obviously science fiction. Okay. Uh, the, uh, and time travel and all that. But the book really is not about how in the future there's, you know, snipers running around, you know, killing zombies or what have you. That, that's really not what the, there's a bit of that, but that's not what the book is about. Um, most of the book takes place in the present uh, when uh, Tyler, the sniper, uh, travels to the present and, uh, you know, encounters, you know, our life today. Uh, and uh, he has to acquire everything he needs to, you know, for, for the shot. You know, he has to acquire the rifle, the, uh, he has to make the, hand make the, the ammunition. Uh, he has to practice uh, with this new rifle. Uh, I mean, it's the same model that, that he used, but, uh, you know, every rifle is slightly different. And when you're shooting uh, out to 3,200 meters, you know, even the slightest, slightest difference, and it basically is, is the difference between hitting and missing. Okay, so, so the book is about that. And then, of course, he is in, in position. Uh, there's about five or six chapters of, you know, where, of uh, between the moment he pulls the trigger the first time and uh, the moment when the last bullet hits. Okay, so that is described in exhaustive detail. Again, as I said, it is not Jane Austen. Uh, it's uh, well, it's a I little. It's not, a little like Tom. It's 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 a little like Tom Clancy, uh, George, because in in some of his books, you know, there would be incredible detail. It might be, you know, yeah. a half an hour's time or something, but it might take you know 150 pages to describe that. Right. So so right. you're so you're an engineer uh, by training. I mean, obviously, you're an intellectual properties lawyer today, but you have engineering background, and this is a a, a time traveler. You know, that's part of this whole uh, book. Um, how much of your scientific and, and you know, kind of um, uh, uh, analytical um, uh, world that you lived in uh, before you became a lawyer and a satirist, um, how much of that did you draw upon to write Future Shot, A Bullet Can Change the Past? A fair amount. I mean, it's uh, fairly technical, not in the sense that you have to, you have to be an engineer and you don't have to be an engineer to, to read the book. It's, it's not... It's not meant as a textbook on, you know, long-distance uh, shooting. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's a fair amount of technical detail about how, you know, Tyler Waterson, the sniper, the, the main character, uh, you know, how he, like, what he does, how he prepares, like, why he does what he does. Uh, the inspiration, in some sense, is actually not so much Tom Clancy, but Stephen Hunter, you know, the writer Stephen Hunter. Uh, he, yeah. you know, he writes about uh, snipers as, as well. And uh, he probably is a pioneer in the, in a style where, uh, you know, some detail of like why is the like what scope uh, the uh, sniper would pick for a particular job and why he would pick that particular scope and, and what have you. So he he might go on for you know like a dozen pages uh, describing this technical detail and it's very interesting. Okay, uh, so uh, the inspiration for 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 that sort of stylistic uh, device, if you will. Uh, and all the technical detail is actually from Stephen Hunter. Um, but, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of technical detail. I mean, you don't have to get involved in, in all that. You can probably kind of speed read through that. Uh, but uh, it is realistic. I mean, I talked to long-distance shooters. Uh, a friend of mine's uh, brother is actually a champion in, in Russia uh, of long-distance shooting, meaning like out to two miles or a mile and a half. Uh, so, uh, so the, the detail is, I mean, it's realistic, not that somebody's really going to do this, but it is realistic. This is how, how you would actually go about doing this if you were to, to do this. Um, I mean, can it really be done? Can you really take out two, you know, hard targets? And uh, obviously the president and the vice president are the hardest, you know, targets that, 
but there are. I mean, can you really do this in real life? Uh, it's a matter of debate. I mean, probably you would need to, to have uh, somebody with extraordinary skill, uh, you know, doing this. Uh, even the best snipers probably are not quite up to par, but perhaps if you train for just this one moment, okay, and if you train in the specific location where the event actually takes place, where, you know, the, the president and the vice president are visible and you, you have eyes on them, as he can in the future. Because in the future, you know, the, the place where the speech takes place is just post-apocalyptic landscape, right? So hey, George, George, our future, yeah. our future is now. We need to take our bottom-of-the-hour break. Uh, and so, so hang right there with us, George. Hang right there with us, listeners. When we come back... Um, I'm going to ask George, how does he handle the wind and the earth curvature uh, in, in, in this uh, book, Future Shot, um, A Bullet Can Change the Past? You're listening to Inside Track. We'll be right back. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So. Uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material what they're making bringing it back and so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them so i think that's really our niche market we'll sell whatever you need tucson iron and metal surplus call 209-1579 stop by the yard 701 east 36th street open monday through saturday it's termite season Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah, run for your life! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. Ask not... What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time. With Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson. IMUSWilkinson.com. 777-1911. 777-1911. Hey, welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce is here broadcasting remotely from Coronado, California. Eb is still on assignment. We hope to have him back on the show again real soon. I want to remind you all that now is a perfect time to call Corazon Cabinets to get your jump on the next home improvement project you have going. No supply chain problem on cabinets being available here because at Corazon, Joey and Allie have their 6,000 square foot warehouse stacked to the ceiling with beautiful cabinets ready for your next home project. Call and speak to the design professionals at Corazon Cabinets at 488-2266. Okay, we are with George Bardmesser. Uh, this is a fun uh, book that he has uh, uh, written, Future Shock, A Bullet Can Change the Past. Uh, George, uh, before we get to the Earth's curvature, uh, tell our listeners how to find your book. Uh, well, go on Amazon and type future shot, two words, and there it is, or type my name, Bardmesser, but uh, future shot is probably a good way to, to go there. Um, to my surprise, actually, more people buy the paper version than the electronic version. Like when you, oh, I, you, know, you get the reports from, from Amazon, and uh, apparently more people like the paper you know, the paperback version than the electronic one. I mean, go figure. I mean, I personally haven't bought a paper book in, in, in a long time. But uh, apparently people still do buy paper books. So, uh, so, yeah, Amazon, future shot. And there it is. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so let's get to the question. How does 
uh, Tyler handle the wind and the earth curvature. I, I think it's called the Coriolis effect. Do you know anything about that? Well, uh, the wind is actually easy. Uh, if you think about it, every presidential speech is recorded by multiple video cameras from all the networks. So uh, this speech, so President Finnegan, uh, go, there's a last-minute schedule, scheduled event uh, because a Ford factory is closing up in Michigan, and the jobs are migrating to Mexico, while the Mexicans, of course, are migrating in mass to the United States. Uh, so that's a bad political optics for President Finnegan. Now, I, I don't want you to think that this is, again, uh, some real person that we have or, you know, in, in the Oval Office again. The word, the word Biden is not mentioned anywhere. Okay, so we're not killing Biden here. You know, we're, we're killing a fictional, you know, character. Okay, so the optics are bad, and so he goes to the GM factory. Uh, you know, there's a hastily scheduled speech. Uh, that he has to make at the GM factory in Troy, Michigan. Now, in the future, of course, this is all ancient history, okay? So there's video available of that speech. And from the video, uh, you know, scientists in the future can tell exactly down to a second what is the best time when the wind is virtually zero and would not affect the, you know, the aim or the flight of the bullet. Uh, as far as the Coriolis effect, uh, the fact that you can actually practice at the exact location where the shot, you know, he, so he's in the future, he's 90 years in the future, okay, but he's practicing at the exact location where the shot will take place 90 years in the past, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really a question of zeroing the, sc the scope properly. Okay, that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, and the fact that he can do it at that exact location solves a lot of the problems. Uh, the fact that the targets are stationary, and he knows they're stationary from all the videos that, that exist uh, from, from that speech uh, that Finnegan makes, uh, obviously helps. Uh, now, when he gets to the present, uh, there's a problem, right? Because he can't take his rifle with him, uh, so he needs to get a new rifle, he needs to make new ammunition, and he needs to zero a new scope. So how he solves that problem, I mean, I don't want to give too many spoilers. In the, you know, no, no, don't, uh, give, don't give that away. But uh, the book is yeah, a lot. A lot of the book is, is about that, and a lot of the book is about the, the uh, I guess, the few seconds where the shots actually take place. You know how he, he prepares, how he does it, how the bullets are flying. You know uh, whether they make it or not uh, to where they need to be. Uh, so uh, th th that part actually was kind of in my mind as like the, the starting point uh, when I was uh, when I kind of started writing. You know, I wasn't thinking, I was thinking less about the details than about what I really wanted to see was those bullets, you know, flying through from a long way out. Okay. Uh, so really in my mind, the rest of the book kind of structured around that. Okay. So probably, uh, probably a book, probably a book that gun lovers as well as sci-fi freaks are going to enjoy as well as political uh, geeks. Uh, George, yeah. I listened to, to sci-fi radio from the 1950s online and on a show called uh, X-1, um, which ran for about five or six years, there was a similar, I think it was a Ray Bradbury short story about a time traveler where um, the world had this sort of this awful thing happened to it. There was a nuclear war and there in the entire world there's maybe, you know, eight or 10 million people left. And there is a Russian who is the uh, president of the UN, which now is the world body. And um, they had a time machine uh, that they set up uh, in the East River right next to the UN building, which I, you know, I, I don't know how it would continue standing after an atomic attack uh, in, in, uh, in New York City. But they, but they sent a... Let me tell you, th those bureaucrats, they're more survival-minded than cockroaches. So and those UN bureaucrats will survive anything. So, so they send this assassin back to 1905 in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, to kill Einstein. Had you ever read that, uh, read that story? I have not, although I have read many works by Ray, uh, by Ray Bradbury. Um, I mean, I, I suppose, uh, you know, the genre of the book is sort of a mixture of, uh, you know, time travel, political thriller, assassination, uh, gun, I don't know, gun, 
whatever. Uh, Done so military, yeah. I suppose is what you might call it. So it sort of crosses the boundaries between several genres. Um, again, the, the motivation for writing was really sort of the, the political moment that we're having uh, these days. Yeah. And uh, just, I mean, I don't know how, how other people do it. I mean, I, I but whenever I see a video or even a picture sometimes of Biden eating ice cream or something, you know, it just, you know, like my, I, I feel my blood boiling, you know what I mean? So that, that was, I was sitting there one day and I was thinking, God, you know, like, can't somebody do something about all this? uh, I started putting, just typing furiously about all this. And eventually it became a book. You know, I'm not a professional writer. I just, I don't, I didn't do this for money. I mean, I don't think I'll ever make back, you know, the, uh, what it costs to actually uh, put together and publish, you know, a book like this. But I don't actually care. You know, it's not about money. It's about just saying what I feel, you know, needs to be said. So who helped so, you publish the book? Think, who helped you publish the book? Uh, what's that? Who helped you publish the book, George? Uh, well, really, no one. I mean, I, I used a couple of editors uh, for things like typos, you know, like plot consistency, that sort of thing. Uh, and I had an artist who put together the cover, which I think it's a great the cover. Concept. It's a great yeah, cover. I, I, I actually had two different, you know, artists, uh, you know, try try it. Uh, now, some of it, since this is my first book, really, uh, communicating to the artist what I'm, what's in my head is actually not so easy. Okay, uh, so, uh, but th- this guy, you know, he's actually in Venezuela, believe it or not. Uh, you know, so uh, he captured it uh, perfectly. His name is Juan Padron. Okay, so he captured, I think, the concept, uh, you know, really well. Uh, so, are, are there any new? Are there any new projects you're working on? Well, I'm. About maybe one fifth of the way into book two. Okay, it's, it's Tyler as well. I, I still have work, you know, like not writing work, but like real work that, uh, like patent work that I that I have to do. So uh, it's it's going a little slowly, but uh, uh, you know, th- th- there's many times when I want to kind of write something, but uh, well, like an article for the American Greatness or something. But th- then I look at what's going on and like, you know, what's the point? You know, it's all, you know, depressing. Uh, so, but, you know, may, maybe the book will make a difference. You know, who knows? So hopefully people will read it and start thinking about, uh, you know, is this the kind of president, you know, we want to have, you know, and how long do we want to have him? Now, again, you know, the word Biden is not mentioned anywhere in the book, just a disclaimer. So if anyone thinks that the that future shot is about, you know, killing Biden, no. There's no Biden in the book. You know, the president is a fictional president named Jeremiah Finnegan. So just to make that clear, once again. Okay, so how, again, tell our listeners how to get future shot. A bullet can change the past. Uh, go on Amazon, Kindle, or well, wherever you buy paper books, and just type future shot. There it is. Well, George Barbester, thanks very much for joining us. And uh, uh, I look forward to... Uh, uh, to to uh, uh, hearing about your successes with with the with the book, there's a lot of uh, great political thrillers and 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 uh, action going on right now uh, from the conservative side. Uh, this one sounds like fun, and and hopefully our listeners, whether you're a political guy, a gun guy, uh, a time traveler, you know, sort of a sci-fi guy, I think you're going to like this work by George Barnmesser. George, thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. All right, so uh, uh, everybody, we're hoping to get uh, Sean Steele with us uh, to come and join us uh, here for the last uh, few minutes of the show. Um, uh, I, while we're waiting for, Ch- for Sean, and hopefully he'll uh, call in here in the last uh, few minutes, um, there was a great uh, piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal, uh, their morning ed- editorial report, and uh, they say, Larry, this is from the Wall Street Journal, Larry Elder was a late entrance into the race. Now, Larry Elder uh, is what he's a Salem uh, broadcast personality. I hear him uh, daily broadcasting out of um, uh, CARE LA in, in, uh, uh, in Los Angeles. He announced his candidacy on July 12th. He was motivated, he said, by fire in the belly to see if I could do something to move the needle in the right direction, he told a reporter. He instantly emerged as a front runner, pulling 10 points ahead of the closest would-be Newsom successor. 
the new survey USA poll has him slightly behind uh, Democrat Kevin Pafrath, a 29-year-old YouTube personality, ironically. Uh, that was before he ever even qualified uh, for the ballot, which ended up be, uh, requiring a trip to the court. You may remember uh, they were demanding uh, his income tax returns and all kinds of uh, superfluous information that did get work out. Uh, Larry has name recognition as a radio uh, host since 1993 and has been broadcast both locally in Los Angeles and nationally. His current program, The Larry Elder Show, uh, it covers mostly politics with a focus on California. It's been nationally syndicated, as I said, since 2016 and airs across California's major media markets with Salem. He's known for being plain spoken, but not strident. I think they call him the, the, uh, the genius of, um, of, uh, of uh, West, uh, West L.A. or South Central. Mr. Elder, 69, grew up in a working-class Southern California in a different world, as he describes it. My father came to Los Angeles in 1945, right after the war, um, and uh, he was able to find work, uh, two jobs, in fact, as a janitor, cleaning toilets. He had a stay-at-home wife, uh, which was his mother. My father was able to save his nickels and dimes to buy a house in South Central, that right now remains in the family. And according to Zillow, it's worth $600,000. In those days, it was easier for low and middle income families to climb the economic ladder. Somebody nowadays with an eighth grade, uh, a dropout education like my father could not duplicate the route from poverty to middle class if he worked three or four jobs, Mr. Elder says, because the price of homes has gotten so outrageous because of the stranglehold, and this, this we know uh, from lots of, of news reports, uh, that the environmental extremists have development contractors uh, who would otherwise build more homes in Southern California if it wasn't for all their red tape. Mr. Elder graduated from inner city Crenshaw High School in 1970. I think we're the same age. And then he earned a bachelor's degree from Brown University. Wow, uh, a conservative at Brown University. Uh, I bet you that'd go over great today. And he got a law degree from the University of Michigan. He practiced for a few years and started an executive search firm for lawyers before he found his calling on the air. He built his radio audience by discussing California problems. Um, the problems that most liberal media outlets ignore or treat in simplistic ideological terms. Larry says, I've talked about crime, about homelessness, about fire suppression, about the drought and shortage of water, and about the rising cost of a home in California, he says. Larry describes himself as a libertarian, which means liberal on cultural issues like same-sex marriage. His dad instilled an ethos of self-reliance and personal responsibility. My father always told us, work hard, Hard work wins. You can't control the outcome, but you're 100% in control of the effort. That sounds like my dad's advice to me. Like many other young men, Mr. Elder rebelled against his father. That also sounds like me. But he now credits him for overcoming a rough upbringing in Jim Crow South and working menial jobs to support his family before starting his own business. Mr. Elder's background helped sharpen his arguments against the welfare state and well-intended liberal economic policies like minimum wage, which he blames for hurting black communities. It's another thing about uh, the leftist Democrats today. Uh, they say that they're for minority communities, but they do so many things to hurt uh, the same people they're trying to, uh, to help out. Larry says, my ideas have been tested under fire. They're commonsensical, and I think that's lacking in Sacramento. This governor, Gavin Newsom, has imposed the most severe lockdown of all 50 states, and the results have been disastrous. Only about 50% of jobs have been recovered in California to pre-pandemic levels, whereas two-thirds of the national average have been recovered, he says. Mr. Elder ticks off numbers like a sportscaster. There are 300,000 public school teachers in California. It's estimated by virtually every expert I talk 
to that a minimum of 5% of them are incompetent. That's 15,000 teachers walking through the corridors of our schools, educating our kids. Now we wouldn't put up with that at the LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Department. There was recently a study that showed two-thirds of black parents do not want to send their kids back to Los Angeles school district schools, and one of the reasons they cite is systemic racism, he says. What they mean is this. The worst teachers end up in urban schools. They don't end up on the west side. They don't end up in the valley. The worst teachers end up in south-central urban schools. And black and brown parents are aware of this, and they want something done about it. That's why the number of black and Hispanic people supporting Larry Elder, this is me talking, is so great uh, and something that the Democrats hadn't uh, considered. Mr. Elder supports an initiative that the California School Choice Foundation may place on the November 2022 ballot to establish education savings accounts, allowing parents to use taxpayer dollars that would normally go to zoned public schools for private school tuition, homeschooling, and other education-related expenses. Wow, these are things we have in Arizona, too. California voters rejected ballot measures to establish private school vouchers in 1993 and 2000. But Mr. Elder thinks the coronavirus school closures represent a turning point or perhaps a breaking point. Parents have been able to see for the first time the kind of instruction their kids are getting and they are not impressed. The pandemic shined a light on other problems, including crime and homelessness. Under coronavirus, Larry says, this governor has overseen the release of 20,000 convicted felons. Many of them were convinced or convicted of violent crimes, Mr. Elder says. He faults a 2014 ballot measure, Prop 47, which then Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom backed. It reduced the penalties for drug possession, shoplifting, and other so-called victimless crimes. You may remember in California, you have to uh, uh, steal over $950 to be guilty of a felony if you get caught. If you get caught, you get a ticket as a misdemeanor, Mr. Elder says. That feeds addiction as many shoplifters support their drug habits by selling stolen goods. And by the way, it's not just the $950. It's the $950 every single day at every single place, which is why you're finding places like Walmart, Target, that are closing up because they can't make money because people are stealing product off the shelves or they're cutting hours and hurting the very employees that used to work there. A governor elder wouldn't have the power to repeal Prop 47 or for that matter, do much of anything on his own. But he says he would use his bully pulpit to advocate reforms, including a suspension of the California Environmental Quality Act to increase housing development. For the first time in, his, in this state's history, he says, we're losing, we're losing population. It's not the millionaires and the billionaires that Bernie Sanders complains about moving. It's people making between fifty dollars and $100,000 who can't buy their first home. He would also wield his veto pen aggressively. Larry says, one of the reasons I was reluctant to get into this race is because I thought Democrats could override whatever veto that I do, he explains. But the legislature hasn't overridden a veto since Jerry Brown's first stint as governor in 1979. Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though he was a semi-Republican, vetoed hundreds of bills. Not a single one was overridden. Because what happens is you veto a stupid bill, you go public, and you explain why the bill was stupid. And the next thing you know, the phones ring in the state senator's office and the phones ring in the state assemblyman's office and the kids and the constituents are saying, what the hell are you thinking about? So Democrats are going to work with me or they'll or they'll feel the heat. The other thing I can do, Larry says, is empower the Republican minority. He adds, I'm going to make it clear to the Democrats that if you don't include buy in from Republicans to make these bills seem far more sensible, I'm going to veto them. And that's going to make them a lot more sensible. But Mr. Elder's lights, California's, or by Mr. Elder's lights, California's legislature could hardly be less sensible. He has moved sharply to the left despite voter-approved measures 
that created an independent redistricting commission and a jungle primary, two very, very bad uh, things. Uh, process reforms intended to moderate partisan extremes. What went wrong? Well, Mr. Elder blames unions, which bankroll Democratic politicians and make them less accountable to voters. Mr. Newsom and his anti-recall committees have raised $43 million with 45% coming from labor organizations. Mr. Elder has pulled in just $4.5 million. Elizabeth Warren just cut a commercial for him, arguing that the recall was led by Trump supporters. At least she didn't call me a white supremacist, which was what the Gavin team earlier said I was being driven by, Mr. Elder says with a laugh. After I got in the race, they dropped the rhetoric. Republicans make up only 24% of the state's registered voters, but Mr. Elder observes that 2.2 million people signed a petition to recall this guy, the governor, and surmises that at least a quarter of them were Democrats or independents who had just voted for him two years earlier. Now, challenges don't directly uh, uh, face the incumbent in a California recall election, but Democrats appear worried about Mr. Elder all the same. If he brings out more Republican voters, that means more votes for recalling Governor Newsom. The Democrat Secretary of State has moved to keep Mr. Elder off the ballot because he didn't properly redact personal information from 300 pages of uh, personal income tax information. Is the Golden State ready for a political turn? Elder says, I hope, because it's becoming more conservative. But I can't say that, Mr. Elder, Mr. Elder says. All I know is people are fed up. Well, suddenly it's a contest. Ballots for the September 14th vote will start being mailed in the upcoming weeks, and three recent polls show Mr. Uh, Newsom is vulnerable. As California recall ballot has two parts, the first asks a yes or no question, shall the office holder be recalled? The second offers a list of successor candidates. 46 have qualified in the recall. Each voter chooses one of them. If the recall is successful, whichever candidate earns a plurality fills out the terms. Well, we wish that Sean would have called in. Hopefully uh, you got something uh, from uh, the article I just read you uh, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and I hope that you've enjoyed uh, the chat today with Future Shot author George Bardmesser. Uh, remember, it's fiction. Uh, he is a hoot. Uh, join us next Saturday when author and thinker Charles Murray joins us. Until next Saturday, for Eb Wilkinson, this is Bruce Ash and Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon.